0: Hello. Welcome to the legends of King Arthur and his knights. Chapter 41. The Ship of Wonder Sir Galahad was tired. He had made it his business to visit every corner of Britain during his quest and the journey had taken it out of him. Sensing that destiny was about to move the quest forward, he rode towards the sea. On the way, he came across a tournament in which some knights were defending a castle against attack. Galahad, ever one to support the underdog, realised the defenders were getting the worst of it and joined in on their side. Of course, Galahad was too strong and he caused utter havoc. The attacking knights were defeated almost to a man and the rest ran away. One of those defeated was the noble Sir Gawain. Arthur's most loyal knight realised this was the last nail in the coffin as far as the grail quest was concerned for him. He was close to death. His wounds took two months to heal. When he was well, He and his companion, Sir Hector de Maris, trudged slowly and separately back to Camelot. Both made it home, although both had one small adventure on the way. Gawain had been struck down by Galahad, and Galahad had used Sir Balin's sword, the one that Merlin had set into a rock for Galahad to acquire many years later. And hadn't Merlin predicted that one day Lancelot would use it to kill the man he most loved? Well, maybe this is what he had meant. Maybe it was a cryptic prophecy. Maybe it was Gawain's hope for the quest that were to be killed and maybe it was Lancelot's son that was to deliver the blow. After all, Lancelot was Galahad's father. No Lancelot, no Galahad. One thing was for certain, Gawain was the man that Lancelot loved most in the world. Galahad was too tired for words. He had been weary anyway, but the tournament had drained him of the last of his strength. He found a hermitage where he was granted food and rest. After a hearty meal, he lay down on the ground outside the building and was asleep before his head touched the grass. Galahad was awoken by the hermit ushering in a young woman. She spoke urgently to Galahad, telling him he must follow her through the forest of Salib and down to the sea. On the way, they stopped for a meal at her castle, from where she collected an exquisitely fashioned casket. Carrying the box before her, she rode on. Galahad followed. After a day or so in the saddle... Galahad glimpsed the sea. Still the lady didn't slow down and Galahad struggled to keep up. As they approached the water the chosen knight saw, moored near the shore, a ship dressed in white samite. On the ship were two men. Galahad could hear them shouting their welcome to him and begging him to come aboard. The lady told him to dismount and turn his horse loose. This he did and then following her lead he boarded. Bors and Percival embraced their most serene friend. Genuinely delighted to see each other, the three men told the stories of their adventures so far. Bors lamented that Lancelot couldn't be with them, but Galahad simply told him it was not God's will. Then he motioned towards the young woman who had been silent all of this time. He told Bors and Percival he would not be there if it wasn't for her. Clearly she had some destined part to play in the quest. She said nothing the ship, without anyone in control, set sail, and faster than the sailing ship should, sped away from the land. After a night and a day, an islet came into view. For the first time since boarding the ship, the lady spoke. Moored near that island is a ship, far greater and more magical than this one. On that ship is the adventure which our Lord has chosen for the three of you. When we reach it, you must leave this ship and board the other one. The three readily agreed. When they reached the ship they moored the one they had arrived in and prepared to board. The ship was many times more magnificent than the one which had carried them there and they were eager to get on. Before climbing on deck though they saw something which made them stop. Written in large letters on the side of the ship was a warning. Think before you come aboard. Be sure that you are full of faith because I am faith itself. Be sure that you are without sin because I am faith and true belief. Do not stray from faith or I will cast you down and I will reject you. I will fail you utterly if you stray, no matter how small is your fault. Percival gulped. He was sure he was fine to go on, but a little doubt entered his mind. He looked over at the girl and saw she wanted to say something to him. She asked him if he had any idea who she was. Percival shook his head. She spoke. Percival of Wales, I am your sister, daughter of King Pellinore. If you have any doubt about your worth, then do not board this ship. If you have any doubt about your faith, then do not board this ship. You are the person in this world that is most dear to me, and I don't want to see you hurt. When she had finished, Percival somehow knew she was telling the truth. She really was his sister. He hugged her hard, and as he did so, his doubts drifted away. He looked over at Galahad, who was already climbing on deck. Percival grinned his widest grin, Hugged his sister again and watched as she boarded the ship. Excited and without trepidation, he followed her aboard, a very eager bores not far behind. The ship was magnificent, but also very odd. The companions explored and found everything to be perfect, everything in its place and everything made of the finest materials. What was odd, though, that in a cabin amidships was a fine canopy made of the most exquisite fabric and concealing the most sumptuous and comfortable-looking bed. At the head of the bed was a glorious golden crown. At the foot of the bed lay a sword of fantastic beauty. The stone which made the pommel seemed to contain all of the colours known to man. The hilt was made of two ribs, one from a snake found only in Scotland, and one from a fish known to swim only in the Euphrates River. The first, according to legend, rendered any man who held it insensible to heat, The second, when held, removed all memory of joy and sorrow from its bearer. Only the knowledge of the task in hand would fill the holder's thoughts until the sword was put down, when all other memories would return. Inevitably, on the cloth covering the sword-hilt was a message. I am a marvel. Nobody was able to grip me, and none will, except the one who is more excellent than any who went before, or any who will come after. Percival reached out to grip the sword. Of course, he couldn't. Bors tried without any real conviction, and he couldn't grip the hilt either. Galahad made no attempt. A quizzical look crossed his face as he peered closely at the blade. He pointed to it. Specifically, he pointed to another message, this time written on the blade in blood-red letters. Do not draw me from my scabbard unless you can outdo all others. Anyone else who tries will be doomed to injury or death. The truth of this requires no further proving. Galahad, even Galahad, had doubts. He was pondering his options when Percival's sister spoke. This ship to, ship arrived here during a bitter war between King Lambar, father of the maimed King Pelham, and King Varlan. The war was going against King Varlan, and as he was withdrawing, he found this ship. He grabbed the sword and ran into battle. With it he cleaved Lambar in two. The blow unleashed ruin on both of their lands. Crops wouldn't grow and fish wouldn't swim. The trees bore no fruit and no animal could live off the land. That is why the lands are now called the wasteland. King Varland then returned to the ship to get the scabbard, but he fell, fell down dead by this bed. That is the power of the sword. And wait, there is more to see. The lady gestured towards the scabbard. It appeared to be made of rare snakeskin, What caught their attention, though, was the sword's belt. Unlike everything else on the ship, it was made of cheap, common material, and was so flimsy it could break at any moment. It did, though, contain yet another message about the sword. He who bears me will fear fear nobody and do greater deeds than any other. He must be free of sin. If I am taken to a place of sin, then the wearer will soon regret his actions. If he keeps me clean, though, he will always be safe. The belt must stay with me until it is removed by a woman's hand. She must be the daughter of a king and a queen. She will be free of sin. The maiden will exchange the belt for another, made of what is most precious to her, and she will tell of this sword's name. The knights laughed. This was clearly marvellous, but they were overwhelmed with messages. Percival nudged Galahad. Turn the sword over, he said. I bet there's another message on the other side. Percival was right. He who prizes me will find me failing him in his time of need. To him that I should be kindest I will show myself to be the most cruel. This will happen only once, but it will happen. Whoa! exclaimed Percival. I was about to tell you that sword must be yours and you should take it. Now I would advise you not to. Galahad said nothing. It was Percival's sister who spoke. Sweet brother, don't worry. This prediction has already happened. The words say it will happen only once and it has happened. Nacian, brother of King Mordrain, found this ship standing in a creek. He boarded it and found the sword. After nine days the wind roared and the ship sailed away to an island where a terrible giant lived. Nacian stepped ashore. The giant shouted that Nacian was a dead man and he feared for his life. He ran back to the ship and drew the sword from the scabbard. Immediately he prized the sword above all else. He raised it aloft but as he was about to swing, the blade snapped in half. It failed him in his time of greatest need. Nacian threw the sword on the bed and drew his own. He still managed to slay the giant. When he reboarded the ship, it sailed off again all by itself. It encountered King Mordrain's ship. Nacian told Mordrain of his adventure. Mordrain boarded the strained ship and took up the broken sword. He placed the two broken pieces together like a jigsaw, and they fitted perfectly. As he did so, the sword magically repaired itself. The break was gone, invisible to everyone. He told Nasian that the sword had broken because of Nasian's sin, not because there was any defect in the metal. The next day, as they were crossing from one ship to another, a sword flew through the air and into Nasian's shoulder. As it did so, a voice was heard. This is for the wrong you did in drawing the sword. You were not worthy. In future, take greater care not to offend your maker. And so the prophecy was fulfilled. Nacian was the man who prized the sword most, and it failed him. You, Galahad, have nothing to fear. You are the truest and the best. But what about the other part? asked Bors. To him that I should be kindest, I will be the most cruel. Ah, now this relates to King Pelham, the maimed king. Long before Balin injured him with the spear of Longinus, he received another injury. He boarded this ship alone and saw the message. He thought himself to be without sin and worthy of the sword, but when he unsheathed it, he was hit in the thigh by a flying lance. He was crippled because he dared to draw the sword, thus it was cruelest to the one to whom it should have been most kind. The three knights were fully convinced. Galahad was about to draw the sword when something about the bed caught his attention. On either side of the bed was a sturdy post. The two posts held a slender crossbeam which was bolted at each end to one of the posts. The post closest to the the knights was whiter than snow. The far post was red as blood, and the crosspiece was a bright emerald green. It was clear to everyone that the colours were in the wood itself. There was no paint or other artificial colouring involved. Percival leaned over the bed and lifted the cover near the golden crown. There he found a purse. In the purse was a letter, which explained the nature of the magical wood, from which was made the three posts. Back in the days before time began, so the story goes, the first people, Adam and Eve, were the only humans on earth. They inhabited a beautiful, perfect place called the Garden of Eden. One day, despite severe warnings from God, Eve persuaded Adam to eat fruit from the forbidden tree. They were cast out of the garden by God for their sin. As she was leaving, Eve picked up a twig from the tree and took it with her out of paradise. When they arrived at their new home, Eve planted the twig and it grew into a fine tree. This made Adam and Eve happier and they resigned themselves to their fate. The tree was as beautiful as the original tree. Its bark, its wood and its leaves were a bright white, the colour of snow. It kept Adam and Eve sheltered and they loved it. They planted other trees from its cuttings. Each of the new trees was also a perfect white. They named the tree the Tree of Life. Before long, God commanded the two to have sons. Two boys, Cain and Abel, were born, Cain first and then his brother. Once Adam and Eve had conceived their first son, the colour of the tree changed to a brilliant emerald green. Any cuttings planted from the tree after that were also green, although the trees which had sprung from the tree of life when it was white remained white. Many years passed and Adam and Eve's two sons grew up. Abel was a hard worker and pious, whereas Cain didn't carry out his duty. Abel offered the best of the harvest in sacrifice, but Cain offered the worst. Abel's sacrifice produced white smoke, sweet to the nostrils, while Cain's emitted the foulest black smoke with an evil stench. Cain grew jealous of his brother, and hatred welled up inside him. One day he could take it no more. He waited until Abel was resting under the tree of life, and stabbed him hard with a curved knife. Abel died there under the tree. As soon as he died, the tree turned a deep red, the colour of a dead man's blood. No more cuttings would grow into new trees, but the tree of life continued to flourish. From that time on, it remained a deep blood red. The tree of life and its saplings survived the great flood and prospered over many years. In the time of King Solomon, it was still majestic and strong. Now Solomon was a wise and powerful king, and he had a direct line to God. He was told he would have many descendants, but that 2,000 years or so later, the last of his line, a knight, would be the best that there had ever been. Solomon wanted to leave the knight a message, so that he would know that Solomon knew of his coming. He couldn't work out how to do it though, so he turned to his wife, who was known for her intelligence and cunning. She gave him her advice, and he carried it out to the letter. A ship was built of the sturdiest and most durable wood a magnificent bed was set up amidships solomon's wife forced some woodcutters to cut a post from the tree of life and one each from a white tree and a green tree which were descended from it three posts were brought into the cabin containing the bed and arranged with the red and white posts holding up a green one over the bed solomon placed his own crown at the head of the bed at the foot of the bed solomon left the sword of his father king david he set it on a pommel with a stone which seemed to contain all of the colours known to man. The sword was set in a sheath fit for it, and a belt was supplied by Solomon's wife. Solomon was furious when he saw the belt, as it was made of a common material and was not at all impressive. The wife told him it was just what was meant to be. Some time later, a maiden would adorn the sword with a belt worthy of it, but Solomon's wife did not know when or how this would happen. Solomon slept well that night in a tent in front of the ship. During the night he thought he saw angels descending from heaven accompanied by a man. The man seemed to inscribe words on the sword and the pommel and then on the side of the ship. When Solomon awoke he saw there was indeed an inscription on the hull. Think before you come aboard. Be sure that you are full of faith because I am faith itself. Be sure that you are without sin because I am faith and true belief. Do not stray from faith or I will cast you down and reject you. I will fail you utterly if you stray, no matter how small is your fault. Solomon read these words, and then the words on the sword, and was awestruck. As he was contemplating these miraculous events, he heard a voice. Solomon, the last knight of your line will lie on this bed you have made, and he will know all about you. And the last of Solomon's line did now know. As Percival finished reading out the letter, Galahad silently approached the bed. As he did so, he spoke. Sirs, we must find the maiden who has the belt which will complete this sword. Bors and Percival nodded their agreement and looked over at Percival's sister. She was smiling. Slowly and very carefully she opened the casket which she had brought with her. She reached in and drew out a belt woven from threads of richest gold, exquisite silk and strands of golden hair. It was encrusted with priceless gems and had two intricately made gold buckles. It was certainly a belt fit for King David's sword. The lady spoke. This is the belt which belongs to the sword. When I knew the quest was underway, after Galahad entered Camelot on that feast of Pentecost, I cut all of my hair. My hair was the finest head of hair that any woman anywhere wore, and it was very precious to me, the most precious thing I had. Bors spoke for all of them. In God's name you have saved us from trials that we would have had to face. Thank you. Now you need to know, continued Percival's sister, the name of this sword. It is called the Sword of the Strange Belt, and the scabbard is called the Memory of Blood. There's no reason to delay now, said Bors to Galahad. That sword is yours. Take it. Galahad leaned towards the sword. He grasped the pommel, still slightly fearful that it would reject him. Of course it didn't. He drew it from the scabbard, and as he did so, he suddenly prized it above all else on earth he slipped it back into the scabbard. Percival's sister took Galahad's sword from him and undid the belt which held it. Then she clipped the new belt around him and set the sword of the strange belt in it. After this, she spoke. Sir, I don't care if I die now. I've done my duty and made the noblest man alive a knight. You were not rightly a knight until you owned this sword, which was brought here on this ship, just for you. Lady, replied Galahad solemnly, your part in this makes me your knight forever. Thank you, I am more grateful than you will ever know. And with that, the four companions disembarked and stepped out onto the rocks. Next time, we'll find out what they find there and what they do next. Until then, have a great couple of weeks and I'll speak to you next time.